KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble. G'day, guys. Welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week on the show, one of the fan favorites back again, Richard Harris. Now, if you don't remember Richard, he is one of the most incredible people I've had on the show and I cannot uh, thank him enough for giving up a time again. Richard is uh, a former anaesthetist and obviously now known as a cave diver. He was one of the cave divers who went over to Thailand to save the young man in the soccer team that uh, that got trapped there all those years ago. Since our chat, there's been countless documentaries and even Netflix series made on him and the story over there, which is absolutely incredible of, of what he's achieved. When he came back, he won Australian of the Year and has just hasn't looked back since. He's actually retired now from being an ethodist and um, is all about changing uh, perceptions of risk. And he continues all his incredible work now, cave diving, making movies and storytelling, but also is a massive advocate for, as I mentioned, uh, taking risks. See, he has a podcast in himself called Real Risk where he interviews other people that have done incredible things. If you haven't listened to it, please go back and have a listen because it's really cool. And now he's actually about to release his book called The Art of Risk in which he talks about his own story and a heap of other people like James Cameron and the like that have done incredible things in their careers respectively. So an unreal story, an unreal guy doing awesome things and uh, yeah, really lucky to sit down and chat with him again because I know how busy he is. So I hope you guys appreciate this as much as I did. And, yeah, just a big thank you to everyone tuning in. If it's your first time listening, hello, my name's Dylan. If it's your, if you're back again, IllyXX, love ya. Hope you enjoy the show. Chat soon. Hi, fam. It's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friend. He gives you a back rub and says, you know, you're going well, Brian. Oh, it's special. Get comfortable and uncomfortable. Mm. Just keep showing up and find a way. Cam was so nervous he couldn't swallow water. Carrying a sheet of paper with six names and said, Chief, we've got to cut these six blokes. Wow, shut up. I've just been barbed by a stingray, mate. I'm just yelling at him, you saved my life, you saved my life, you saved my life. Thank you, thank you. I spent the last, I think it was a couple of weeks, in jail. The deepest, darkest moments often bring about our biggest highs. Harry, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. How are you? Deal, it's great to see you again. Thanks for having me on. It is. It is. Now, I said this uh, off camera. You're the only guest that is allowed to appear via the uh, the internet because you're just a man in demand. You, you rarely get over to Victoria, but I can't pass up the opportunity to have a chat with you. So, um, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Well, that's kind of you to allow me to uh, be in the comfort of my own home. I do, <laughs> actually, I do come to Melbourne a fair bit with work, but um, the chance of pinning me down while I'm there are pretty... Are pretty tough so yeah no it's kind of you thank you mate i imagine um life's been pretty crazy obviously with everything that you've you've done in the past but then since the last time we spoke um you've obviously written a book your podcast flying um you've recently retired from your your main sort of job how's it how's it all tracking uh life is great i have to say yeah i stopped medicine at christmas time uh, gave my anesthetic uh, about uh, in the few days before christmas which was a massive decision for me to make it was quite 
probably one of the scariest things I've done, to be honest, to, um, you know, to give up that very safe and comfortable life where, you know, there'll be a paycheck every fortnight and to leap out into the unknown as I'm doing to try and work further on the stuff that I'm doing right now, like chatting to guys like you and um, uh, writing more books. I've got another kid's book coming out as well next year. And most importantly to me, to try and do some documentary filmmaking, which is by far the hardest thing I've ever uh, tried to crack into because, you know, the whole industry is foreign to me. And whilst I've been carrying a camera around for most of my life underwater to actually convert that into something that might appear on the telly or the big screen one day is a a much bigger uh, test, I guess, than I thought it could have been. And so that's really the reason why I said, look, get one one shot at life. So if you're going to do something that you really are passionate about, you got to go 110%. And so I thought, no, give give medicine away. Um, you know, I'm 58 now. Uh, it seems a bit cheeky to retire at that age, but I thought if I'm going to have a chance at doing this new thing, then I really have to throw myself into it. Holus bolus. So here I am. It's unbelievable, mate. It's such a good message. And I think from the podcast that you do, Real Risk, and then the book you've just released uh, coming out shortly, uh, The Art of the art of Risk is is actually in that decision, I suppose. I'm, I'm probably going to be... It's stupid to say that you just on a whim went out and did this. Was there calculation behind it? How did you sort of crisis manage oh. it? Did you think about it or was it something you just sort of... Yeah, went, I did. I mean, I spent, I spent five years thinking about yeah. it, I suppose. After the, after the rescue in Thailand, suddenly I'm presented with all these opportunities. My life was turned upside down, um, as you know from our previous chat. And suddenly I've got a chance to, you know, do interviews, to do a bit of writing. Uh, I was involved in some of the productions about the Thai Cave Rescue, which kind of reaffirmed my interest in that whole Mm. industry. And I've done bits and pieces over the years, doing bits of camera work for, um, you know, news segments or um, even even working on a a feature film and some other documentaries in the past uh, in the underwater kind of space. And always in my mind, I've had these stories I wanted to tell about the cave exploration and the science of the caves. And the it's kind of, for me, it's a bit like the mountain genre of films, which everyone loves. You know, there's always a new one coming out every year. But I thought, you know, what we do is very similar in terms of the grit and determination and sometimes the danger involved with the bonus that actually sometimes we see stuff that's never been seen before. You know, we can go and explore bits of cave that have literally never been seen by human eyes and you know if you could if if someone said there's a brand new mountain that's no one that no one's ever climbed people would be up there in in a heartbeat and there'd be a film about it but the whole underground world is completely unknown I think to many people and and the Thailand event really put it on the map and has given me this chance to pitch my ideas and um, you know so I've got some stuff underway I'm not taking anything to the bank yet but um you know a couple of projects looking really promising and have you been in the water are you still diving how often are you getting out there as to um to yeah explore? well actually this last last six months been really good for that i've been um out to the nullarbor a couple of times diving in the the caves out there both for pleasure and doing some preliminary filming out there for one of my projects um i've um been to new zealand twice this year already diving and, and filming I've been uh, I'm about to go to Mexico in two days to do some cave diving there which is on the absolute bucket list for all cave divers there's two or three places around the world that are must must see places and the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico is one of them so I'm finally getting to do that I've got a huge expedition in Spain in August I'll be away for a whole month um, trying to dive the longest cave in the world with a couple of mates. So, yeah, plenty going on. Wow. And it, it, this stuff as well, 
we spoke about it last time around the systems and processes. And if people haven't listened to the last chat we had, we'll make sure we put that one in the show notes so that um, everyone can go back and listen. I'm sure they have because you're by far our most uh, rec- recommended guest to get back on the show. But how has it changed for you or has it not changed at all? Is it still that stringent process around preparation, getting things ready? Um, I can imagine you're not taking your foot off the pedal with that stuff because you know we'll talk about it today with risk, but... You can take risk, but you've got to be prepared for it. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the dives are still becoming more adventurous, more extreme in some ways as we're, we're pushing on with our exploration in a couple of these different places. And when you start to push the limits, then the preparation and uh, eye for detail has to be even more meticulous, obviously. So one thing I can talk about is that in February this year, our little team um, did a a kind of a world first where we used hydrogen as a breathing gas, which, um, you know, to give you a sort of a a 20 second lecture on why you would change gases and not be breathing oxygen and nitrogen in the normal air that we're breathing now. As you go deeper, the nitrogen especially becomes too thick, too dense to breathe under pressure. And so when you get to about 50 metres depth, it's really not ideal. And so we normally change to a helium-based gas thereafter, which um, is much lighter gas, so it's easier to breathe. And we've dived that down to uh, close to 250 metres depth in the cave in New Zealand we've been exploring. But we know uh, from sort of basic physics and, and, and some accident analysis that beyond that depth, we're starting to push up against this problem of gas density again. People have dived deeper, but you know, it becomes a bit more of a crapshoot. And so the only gas left on the periodic table, which is lighter, is hydrogen. Um, and it has been used in, in the military and in the saturation you know, oil and gas industry a little bit in the 80s. But no one really followed it up, and it's certainly never been used by you know backyard you know inventors like like ourselves. So in February we decided to try and operationalize the use of hydrogen in in the way we dive, and uh, so we did one dive there um, as a bit of a, a test down to 230 meters using hydrogen, and um, so far so good. And so it it potentially opens up another whole. Uh, realm of exploration even down to 350 or more meters uh, depth which is you know far more than anyone's ever done before so it's quite an exciting time but there are some significant risks and and problems to overcome still so yeah lots of exciting stuff that's genuinely incredible i know that it's stupid to think but i i actually hadn't thought with the whole you know the risk of diving and that in itself or already in a nutshell you know makes me sort of sweat on on what sort of activity that's doing but to realize how deep i didn't realize you're actually going down that deep 230 meters below water like that that's a long way it's a long way um you can't see the surface but if you could look up it would uh, it would seem a long way away off, off topic question, and forgive me, this is very silly, but at the moment it obviously is in the bit of the paper, but with the, the recent news of the submarine um, going down and um, unfortunately what happened there, did, did anything pop into your mind with that? Was that something that you had an opinion on at all? Well, actually, I was away bushwalking in the Flinders Ranges. Uh, one of my charities, Operation Flinders, that I work with, um, was um, uh, I'm involved with. I do an annual bushwalk with a bunch of kind of disaffected kids and so I was completely offline that week and when I came home you know my wife's telling me oh you know it's all been happening while you're away. Uh, I did know a little bit about the submersible strangely enough uh, my mate Craig and I were diving in the Bahamas in 2019 on this little island there and that submarine and Stockton Rush and the team were actually there 
testing that submersible and right. so we um, it was pulled up alongside a little jetty there and we we went on board and have a look in look in the sub and i mean it, it seemed like a really professional outfit to me at the time and in fact i remember asking if we could you know any chance of a dive in it so you know very sad to hear what happened and obviously there's been some criticism about um, potential shortcuts in safety and stuff since then but you know that's that's the price of exploration people take risks to do things that are extreme or or that haven't been done before and I'm going I'm the last person who to ever criticize someone for you know having a having a go but you've got to make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed as well of course for sure mate let's talk about your podcast uh, this has been awesome I know when we first chatted last time it was in its early stages and you just started started the show but obviously it's grown into a really really strong show and it's been pretty pretty incredible i've listened to a couple of episodes now as well which has been it's super cool to chat to sort of you know you're having a conversation with someone like yourself who's done what you've done and then these other people and you're just sitting there going what the hell is actually going on right now but from that you've had some really incredible conversations can you talk us through the pod and obviously the reason behind it and some of maybe your favorite shows yeah, sure. Well, I'm a bit. I feel a bit guilty actually because I did three seasons and I literally ran out of time because I was producing it myself, doing all the audio editing myself, the research and everything, the artwork. You know, you name it. It was a one man band and it was taking me a full day a week, as you would understand, mm. to do a weekly show. So I only did the three seasons. Then I just conked out basically. Uh, so just a, a shout out if anyone wants to help me produce it and <laughs> help subsidise it a little bit so I can free up a bit of time. I, I'm very, I've got so many more people I'd love to chat to. But yeah, it's called Real Risk. And the basic premise was that all my life people say to me, Harry, you must be insane to do cave diving. You know, that would terrify me. And I've always thought, well, I don't feel like I'm insane. I don't feel, actually, I don't even feel courageous or, or brave. I just think I'm a really good risk manager. You know, I go into what I do with open eyes and I'm very careful building experience fairly incrementally. And um, whilst I am working at the kind of extreme end of exploration in that sport now, um, that has certainly been a, a relatively recent thing. I've, I've built up, come up through the ranks, if you like, and... Um, so I wondered to myself, are people that do things that really frighten me, uh, are they insane or are they actually like me? You know, hopefully methodical, semi-smart, um, you know, good risk managers. And so that's what I set out to find. And so I started uh, reaching out to other people who I admire or do stuff that I think is beyond, you know, crazy and to chat to them. And you know what, universally I found that they are really like I think I am myself, just um, pretty cautious people who have a bit of a zest for life and a passion for one slightly odd thing, and they just they they pursue it in in the hope of becoming excellent uh, to master it, I suppose, and to find out stuff about themselves. I think that's why most most adventurers do what they do. I mean. You know, I, I would love to climb Mount Everest, even though however many thousand people have done it before. And it's not to say, you know, get the Mount Everest badge. It's to say, I did that. You know, I've, I found that grit and determination to do something that I know would be really unpleasant. It would be really hard, painful and uh, cold, feeling sick, headache, you know, you name it. Um, I, I'm always interested in, asking myself, is that something I could do? Because those other people have done it. And a good example for me is something that's probably pretty mundane for, you know, um, someone like yourself, Dylan, and all the athletes you talk to as I ran my second marathon in the Gold Coast a couple of days ago. Congratulations. And, you know, for 
for for an old man who had no athletic ability whatsoever and complete lack of coordination, no no ball skills, um, to just do something simple like that for me is a major challenge. And and I think it's such a good thing to do for yourself is to set yourself a goal that you feel like, oh, I don't reckon I could ever do that, and crack on and and give it a go. Um, so my my just under five hour marathon time for me is like um, you know this massive achievement. I'm really proud of it. Oh well done, mate. No, that's that's huge to even do to to be silly enough and go back and do the second one. I think is is the real crazy part of that. But um, no, a marathon is something that I always wanted to tick off as well. And I was lucky enough to complete one in last year. I think it was. But um, yeah, I don't think I'd be going back for a second. I think you realise after that how hard it was, and I don't think I've ever recovered. Don't tell me your time because I actually was about half an hour faster last year, so I should have stopped while I was in front. No, no, that's good. <laughs> KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide live with no ad break during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play. Exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Jeez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy. Available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble. Hey, what's the most common thing you found from talking to all of the guests that you've had on and the people that you've got in the book because I find that, you know, people, if you think about that now and someone goes, all right, well, where am I at? Like, I'm not someone that takes a lot of risks in my life. Like, is it something that you're born with or is it something that you can actually grow and is it a skill that you can develop throughout your life? I think it's definitely the latter. Um, You know, some people are born to be extraordinary athletes or extraordinary adventurers or achieve great things, but... But that was never the case with me. You know, I was, um, if anything, a fairly anxious young man, and uh, as I've mentioned, you know, completely lacking lacking in any sporting prowess. But I, and this is something I feel quite strongly about, is that um, it's is it's important to be made aware, and not in a harsh or ruthless manner, but it's important to have things pointed out to you that are deficiencies. I think when you're young, so when you got. When it, when it's made clear to you that you are not being chosen for that sports team, or you know the, you're the last kid at lunchtime in the lineup to be chosen for that that lunchtime kick of the footy or whatever, um, it starts to dawn on you. Okay, well that's that's not my strength, and um, you can either be crushed by that, or you can you can look around and say, well, what do I like, or what can I be good at? And for me, I found that in the ocean, you know, with uh, snorkeling and then spearfishing and then diving and then underwater photography and that led to cave diving and so on and so forth. And for me, that that whole um, adventure underwater has become almost a life-saving passion and, as you, as you mentioned, an obsession really. You know, I feel completely blessed to have found one thing that I'm, you know, moderately good at and, and absolutely love, which is even more important. Um, something that's filled my life with adventures and and great friendships and you know this strange but interesting community of of fellow uh, cave divers. So, you know, when I was Australian of the Year, you have to find a platform uh, of some kind. We have to have it. most people come to it with a platform of some kind. For me, that was a bit unclear because I was just this guy with my mate Craig who got involved in this you know strange but amazing event in Thailand. We didn't really. Um, 
stand for anything. We were just a couple of blokes who had this unusual hobby. But I realised it was an amazing opportunity to start to think about what's important to me and um, it became clear that I'm really keen on um, promoting sensible risk-taking in young people especially to help them build resilience and uh, improve mental health in, in adolescence. So I think it's a really important thing that we've started to lose track of a little bit, that we have to take risks in life and we have to be pushed out the back door by our um parents to take some chances and to make some mistakes. Um, even a simple thing like, you know, riding your bike to and from school gives you opportunities to do um, to, to wander off and misbehave with your little gang after school, for example. And, you know, that's when you, you work out what your boundaries are, both physical and geographical and, and legal, to be honest. So, um, you know, making mistakes is important. Uh, in terms of our growth and development and taking risks to, to find that out is important. I can vouch for that far out. I uh, I think I was lucky to be around a really good bunch of guys and had great parents growing up that sort of towed that line of letting me do my thing but also working out uh, mistakes along the way. I'm a, I'm a new father now. I've got a 12-week-old um, young son and I really... I love what you say. Like, I love the part around, you know, letting them make mistakes, but then in the ideal of it too, you know, I don't let him sneeze without me sort of having the dial over triple zero to call an ambulance. Like, so I, I suppose is the real risk, you know, in this sense, it's like actually taking the risk to let your kids make mistakes. Is that a, is that a message for parents out there? Um, well, congratulations, first of all, and look, welcome Welcome to the suffering of, you know, the rest of the world. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you're now never going to uh, be able to relax because you've, you've got someone who now you are solely and totally responsible for. And that brings, I think you'll find, the, the biggest challenge of your whole life, how to find that balance mm. between keeping them cared for and safe, fed, clothed and educated, but also letting them find themselves. And, you know, with the best intentions in the world, you'll find there's a lot of forces at work that will um, steer down certain paths, which you'll maybe look back like I am with my 20-something-year-old kids and go, oh, I could have done some of those things better or maybe I should have, you know, let them ride their bikes to school on, on some occasions or I should have done this or that. You, you follow your heart and you, you do the best you can. Um, but, um, yeah, I think if there's a couple of messages, it is, is first of all, let them eat dirt and worms and stuff. Um, don't keep the house too clean because germs are our friends as we're growing up because, um, you know, not always, but but it's important for kids to build good immune systems. And if we clean every surface with those sprays that kill 99.99% of um, viruses and, and bacteria, we're leaving that 0.001% of of resistant ones that you know can become dangerous so don't be obsessive about hygiene for a start because i think that's that's really um you know potentially contributing to the the allergy phenomenon and the asthma phenomenon and some of this other stuff so and the other thing is yeah try and try and let them go and get some bumps and scrapes without killing themselves that's that's the challenge fantastic well i'll just go home and tell juz tonight that harry told me to not clean up at home and let max do his thing and I, i'll leave her to deal with you uh you to deal with her if she um has any complaints mate oh thanks very much yeah, yeah suck the dummy suck the dummy when it falls on the floor and stick it back in there man <laughs> yeah love it um <laughs> mate let's talk about uh the book the art of risk so obviously we spoke about it it's a bit of a compilation of all your favorite guests that's been on the show how'd you come about writing it and um how was the process for for you obviously you've had a kid's book before but this one's a little bit different 
Yeah, well, this is an adult book, really, but hopefully some um, teenagers will be reading it as well. Uh, I was very lucky. I had a publisher approach me who'd been listening to the podcast and said, had you thought about writing a book around this? And uh, I said, well, yes, I have, but I definitely have not got time to do that. So never speak of it again. Speak of it again. But of course, once the, the seed is sown, then you start to think, oh, maybe I could squeeze it in. And so it's been a work over about the last couple of years. I did quite a few chunks in different quarantine times in in COVID. Um, I was managing to sneak away for some trips overseas and paid the price in quarantine hotels. So that's always a good time to knuckle down and get some stuff written. And um, yeah, look, I I enjoy writing. um, And this was a bit of a gift in a way. I feel a, a little guilty that I am using other people's stories very heavily to, you know, to comprise a fair chunk of the book. And I've tried to insert my own, you know, life experiences and analogies and take my take on, you know, risk management through their stories. So it's a bit of a cheat, but um, if if nothing else, you get to read a bunch of, you know, cracking good yarns from some of the most extraordinary people who, many of whom continue to inspire me now as friends. Um, it's been such a privilege to meet some of these people and and talk to them. And, you know, that alone, I think there's something to learn from these people. Um, And um, what you take from my own uh, interpretations of what we do in life in terms of risk, well, that's uh, that's up to the readers to decide. But um, I I hope there's some value in there for for everyone. Is there a passage that sticks out to you, a certain story or certain guest that you've had on that's sort of changed your um, reality on on risk taking? A couple of things, I guess. First of all, if I look at the thing that probably frightens me the most of the people in the book, it would be Alex Honnold and his um, story of El Capitan. For those of your listeners who have seen the movie Free Solo, uh, that extraordinary tale of this guy who climbs up um, that three and a half thousand foot sheer face in Yosemite National Park. Uh, initially, he does it with ropes um, and um, until he feels like he's done all the little different segments of the climb and then he puts it all together on one day without a rope or any kind of you know safety net, essentially. So um, the, the film is brilliantly put together by um, Jimmy Chin and Chai Vassilary and their way of telling that story is so exciting that you just you know, on the edge of your seat and holding your breath as he does these moves, um, you know, up the rock face. And you just, you know, he's only ever done some of them once before in his life and he's failed the 19 times before he succeeded. And it's just, it's awful. And the really powerful part of that film is when one of the cameramen looks away, can't watch the screen of his camera while whilst Alex does this one move called The Monster, I think it was called. But talking to Alex about how do you do something that, for people like me is so terrifying and so impossible. He just explains it in a way that made me kind of realise what all extreme adventurers do or can do when they're working within their own uh, sphere of expertise. So he says, look, he he took 20 years to become such a good climber. He um, always works within the realm of his ability and expertise and so whilst it looks impossible and terrifying to me, for him, it's almost all in a day's work. And so he never feels that he's doing something that, that is impossible for him. So if he feels like he can do it, why should he be scared? And when you think about it like that, it's, like, it's kind of obvious and right. But 
he's only done it once out of 20. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a stretch. So that was extraordinary to, to, to realise that people who are just so good at what they do, so accomplished, so comfortable, just because it seems impossible to me doesn't mean it's impossible or even that hard for, for that person. So that, that was the first lesson to me. The other one on on that and on Alex that like I was lucky enough to watch that documentary and it's it's available now. Um, we watched it when we were, I was playing footy and the coaches obviously wanted us to to watch it. And what fascinated me was looking at look this is a risk taking activity and obviously it's risky what he's doing, but the preparation that he put into it, like the notes that he'd write around left hand here, he, he basically mapped out the whole climb to an inch of its life. That yes, it was risky, but he'd almost prepared so well that it was just in a day's work. Yeah, well, that was part of the extraordinary thing that is Alex Honnold's brain is he's got that choreography of what you just described in these weird little climbing notes mapped out exactly every single foot and hand move for three and a half thousand feet is on those notes and then in his head. So, you know, he knows exactly what's happening before he goes up that, uh, that rock face. Unbelievable. And that's part of his genius, I guess. That kind of memory, unbelievable. What are what are the benefits of risk taking in life? I suppose a lot of people try to avoid it. Um, what what would you say is a benefit of it? Yeah, well, firstly, we can't avoid risk. Um, you know, as soon as you walk out the front door, you know, there's something that could hurt you. In fact, lying in your bed is the most dangerous thing you could possibly do. As as we know, sitting on the couch, um, you know, you're not going to survive very long. You'll get a blood clot in your leg or a heart attack or uh, you know, moving and, and exercising is not only good for our physical health, but of course for our mental health as well. So, you know, there are perils of trying to avoid risk, um, but active risk seeking, and I'm talking about sensible risk seeking, of course, not, um, you know, destructive risk taking um, um, activities. Uh, you know, we're born with that in our genetic makeup. I mean, from Stone Age man, you know, you had to take a risk to survive. You had to hunt uh, prey that might be able to kill you. Uh, you had to fight uh, to get a mate. Um, you had to. You, I mean, you just look at the animal kingdom. It's it's a it's a it's a jungle out there, Dill. And uh, so, you know, it's an innate part of of all animal, the whole animal kingdom, to to take risks to. Uh, progress and to reproduce and keep your DNA out there in the gene pool. Um, so that DNA has not gone away just because life is suddenly comfortable and safe and easy for privileged people like ourselves living in Australia. Um, so um, what do we do when life is so safe? Well, for most of us, we actively seek a bit of risk. And when you're a teenager, that that can end a bit badly because it means you sometimes drink and you sometimes drive your car too fast and you know, bad bad things can happen. But um, as you get older, you become more sensible and, and you find things that you enjoy but still give you a bit of a, a tingle, you know, um, on, the, on the back of your neck sometimes. So some people drive fast cars on racetracks, some people go cave diving, some people climb mountains and, um, you know, some people play the stock market and, you know, wh- whatever we do, there's, there's a degree of risk-taking that's going on. And it, I think it's a very important part of, of life to um, make us feel alive and to grow as a person. Um, you know, the other thing is a bit of discomfort and hardship is actually really good for us as well because it makes us better able to cope with genuine hardship when, when and if it arises. And it also makes you happier in yourself, I think, if you've just run a marathon um, and you know that, you know, that, that four or five hours of suffering in my case was... 
um, was something to look back on and be proud of. And the sore legs that I'm feeling today, sitting at my microphone, um, are a reminder of a of a of an accomplishment. And that that's really good for us. It, um, you know, I think it's something absolutely to be encouraged. We spoke about earlier about how risk taking can be. It's obviously can be a part of you, but you can obviously learn it too and develop it over time. How would you say to someone out there today that's listening, or even myself at the moment? I'm I was crook. I've been down. I've had the baby. I'm very uh, inactive at the moment, living a very sedentary lifestyle. Is there a guide that you could give anyone to actually start taking risks, whether how small they could be? Is there is there a step? that you could sort of give us to, to start following? Oh, look, it's, um, I don't want to get into the role of uh, counsellor or advisor. I, I, I want to stay within my sphere of expertise, which is pretty much minimal on all of this stuff. <laughs> I'm just an enth- I'm an enthusiast, Dylan, as, as you can recognise, but I have no qualification For in sure. psychology or, or uh, any of the stuff that I'm, you know, banging on about. But, um, but I've thought about it a lot and I've, I've tried to, um, you know, think about what what is important for me certainly as a person and you know outdoor adventuring is my thing but that's not for everyone the same way that you know playing footy on the weekends is not for me but it is for other people Uh, whatever it is I think that is your thing whether it's playing an instrument um, reading writing or more outdoor and um, athletic pursuits just just make goals make targets for yourself and um, work out a plan a stepwise plan how to achieve them uh, I, I find myself I'm, I'm a very goal-focused person and if I don't have a goal, if I don't have a plan on any one day, it doesn't take long for one to crop up on my radar and, and kind of make me busy and ruin my, my quiet life again. Um, you know, I find that I'm always busy with lots of things happening and that's, I think, very good for my mental health. Um, there are times when I wish that uh, life could be a bit quieter and I could just sit on the couch and watch a bit of telly but it never really seems to happen. So whatever it is that is your thing, just, um, you know, aim for the next level up. And, um, you know, that's a risk. You know, doing things that are hard or difficult is is risk-taking. doesn't mean it's a physical risk, but it, it, it's a risk to ourselves because the risk is failure sometimes. And, uh, and a bit of failure is good for you as well. For sure. I've experienced plenty of failure, don't get me wrong. That's, uh, that's one thing I'm not short of. You were speaking of the... Um of the filmmaking mate and what you want to get back into uh with that and and obviously explore a new path down that way what was it like working on the series with netflix what did you learn and what was the the passion about um that and was it a little bit surreal sort of going back to seeing a film being made about what you've experienced oh the whole thing's been surreal since thailand i have to say um you know seeing myself and others uh, represented on the screen by actors was very strange. Did you and, like the actor uh, choice? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were two that kind of played me in in two of the things. The feature film by Ron Howard uh, was Thirteen Lives, which had Joel Edgerton playing uh, me, and my wife in particular seemed quite happy with that choice. She, <laughs> I, I, f- I felt like there was a danger there might be an upgrade <laughs> going on. The real Harry might be out, and fake Harry might be yeah. getting an invite. But he's a happily married man, and I've got to meet Joel and his wife. Actually, they've. His wife comes from Adelaide, so wow. they um, sometimes uh, pop through town. So I've got to catch up with them a couple of times, which is pretty cool. Um, and then Roger Corsa played me in the Netflix series, um, and um, again, you know, great, great bloke, and we had a lot of laughs when I went over there to help with that production. So yeah, getting that inside view of of filmmaking and documentary making. Well, they weren't really documentaries; they were more 
um, you know, based on fact type accounts. But yeah, very, very interesting industry. And I've always been quite interested in it. You know, I've done a fair bit of underwater film work just, um, you know, for myself primarily, but also bits and pieces for, you know, news footage or, or um, TV specials and a little bit of documentary and even one fe- feature film in the past. So yeah, I've always been interested by the industry and always had an idea that I might like to make something myself. What's your movement through that? Is there anything on the cards that you're, you're looking at releasing anytime soon? Yeah, well, I've got two um, things in, in development at the moment. Um, I'm nearly ready to say pre, pre, pre-production, but I think you need to see a bit of money first before you can say that. It's such a difficult and frustrating business, I have to say. So I've been really working hard on it for five years now. And, um, you know, you have so many ups and downs, so many yes, 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 and then finally, ah, no thanks. And, um, you know, it all disappears and you have to go off on another tangent. But I'm very optimistic that one of these shows will will get greenlit fairly soon. And um, if that happens, there's a fair chance you'll see something hopefully on the big screen next year. Wow. Um, And hopefully around one of our big cave diving expeditions and... um, yeah, one of my real passion projects. So that'll be great. That's a thing that's frustrating, isn't it? Like I love, well, I've got to be careful what I say here. I love cave diving from a distance. I like watching it um, on on the big screen, but I'm not as big uh, participating myself. But it is hard to find that content. Like I'm always striping across YouTube to try and find some cave diving content. And also half the time it's just shot off a, an iPhone. Yeah, well, a lot of the stuff we, we uh, a lot of the stuff we film is just on GoPros and mm. things because it's opportunistic. When we're exploring, we can't really carry big cameras with us. So often a GoPro stuck to your helmet or on the front of the uh, dive propulsion vehicles that we use to capture the the new cave as it comes in and as it reveals itself. Um, so you know, I've always wanted to get proper cinematographers mm. and and audio and all the stuff that makes a film you know, better than um, a YouTube movie that I'm used to making and, and showcase what we do to the people who might be interested. And the Thai Cave Rescue has been very good at at least putting cave diving up in front of people. People have now heard of it at least, even if they don't really know a lot about it. So, you know, the mountain genre of films has always intrigued but also frustrated me a little bit. You know, every year there's a new amazing mountain film come out and yet all those mountains have been climbed many of them are climbed every year by hundreds if not thousands of people and yet there's something so alluring about you know that process of climbing a mountain like Everest or K2 because it is still genuinely dangerous and it's certainly hard Um, so why not show the same thing but in you know the underground world and that's what i hope to do oh mate it's incredible i can't wait to see what uh what comes out on behalf because i couldn't agree more obviously knowing your story and lucky enough to have a chat with you a couple of times now it's such a it's such an unknown world that a lot of people have not really had the pleasure of um seeing so i'm really excited to see what comes out uh soon under your projects what else mate is there anything else i know that we've already touched on a million things but you've got your book coming the documentary or film hopefully coming soon the podcast is up are you putting yourself under any more pressure is there any other things that you're looking at getting done uh i think that's enough for the minute i've got um, some big caving expeditions coming up i'm off to spain in in august for a month um the world's longest cave there Um, how long is it waiting to be uh, currently 12 kilometres. There's a guy who was actually involved in the cave rescue in Thailand called Jason Melanson, yep. one of the British divers who's been, that's kind of his white whale. He's been exploring that cave on and off since 2001 and him and his friends have made all the major exploration 
breakthroughs in in that cave. And the problem is it's so hard that most of the people who who go with him come away a bit broken and so they often don't go back again. <laughs> and so he's always looking for fresh blood and Craig and myself have foolishly put our hands up to give him a give him a, a bit of help this year. So yeah, that'll be um, a, a big trip and um, hopefully I won't find myself too wanting in terms of my fitness. One of the reasons for, for the marathon was to try and make sure I'm fit for next month. So uh, that's exciting, um, but it's going to be quite hard. Absolutely. So exciting. Uh, now, we really appreciate your time, mate. It's going to be an awesome, awesome experience for you. And we're looking forward to making sure we get The Art of Risk uh, at all good bookstores. That comes out actually tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that comes out on the 5th of July. So make sure you get it, guys. Um, check it out. And uh, Harry, we can't thank you enough for your time. We're going to have to catch up shortly again after you get back from your latest uh, expedition. That'll be great. Thanks, Dylan. Good to chat. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at producey.com. Thanks for tuning in. IllyXX. KO's got you covered this footy season with every game of every round live and ad break free during play. Wow, in the AFL this week, there are some huge games. Collingwood versus Adelaide, live with no ad breaks during play, exclusive in Victoria. Giants versus Bulldogs. Oh, I remember that game. I think it was 2016 at Giants Stadium to get the Bulldogs into the grand final. I will never forget that one. Live with no ad breaks free during play, exclusive in Victoria. And Essendon versus North Melbourne. Geez, that's the old Ben McKay Cup. Exclusive to Fox Footy, available on KO. Don't forget those NBA playoffs. They are dominating at the moment. It is just getting bigger and better than ever. Watch every game of both Eastern and Western Conferences finals live with ESPN on KO. There's plenty of room for everyone, no matter what you want to watch. So get on board with KO, now also available on Hubble.